you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, this is Voss here from the Chris Voss Show.com. The Chris Voss Show.com. I feel like singing it, but we figured we'd let the Iron Lady sing it. So, welcome to the show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. As always, the Chris Voss Show family is the family that loves you, but doesn't judge you. So, remember that. It's a uh, holiday time. People are lonely. People feel lost. People feel like uh, they're alone. You're never alone in the world with the Chris Foss show. There's uh, a billion. <laughs> there's a billion episodes to take and listen to. For 15 years, we've been bringing you the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors, the governors, the Congress members, the U.S. ambassadors, astronauts, Pulitzer Prize winners, and authors. They share with you the brilliance of the spectrum of their life. If you were, I'm going to get poetic here, folks, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, and uh, they share with you this beautiful, concise, detailed, juicy concentrate of their lives and how they resolve their issues in lives. And you're going to learn so much and change your life. And if you haven't found in all the episodes we've done over 15 years, three to four episodes a day, 15 to 20 episodes a week, if you have not found something that can change your life, I don't know what to tell you, man. Check your IQ. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, thanks for joining the Chris Voss Show. As always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. We couldn't do it without your relatives because they need as much help as they can get. Trust me, you're going to see them soon at Christmas dinner and go, man, I need to get these guys to listen to the Chris Voss Show. They need some help. <laughs> and if you don't think that, well, you're probably the one. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, go to YouTube.com for says Chris Voss. Facebook. I just offend everybody on the show at the beginning. Uh, Chris Voss, Facebook.com. Go to uh, LinkedIn.com for says Chris Voss. And uh, subscribe to the LinkedIn newsletter. The LinkedIn uh, 130,000 group over there. That thing grows like a weed. It's just crazy. Chris Voss won on the tickety-tockety. Today we have a spy on the show. We're talking spycraft. There might be some secrets on the show. I don't know. Something like that. Whatever. And uh, we'll have to be careful what we ask him because if he says anything, uh, I don't know, the whole audience might have to get, like, you know, moved to a, a gulag and in uh, Poland or something with black helicopters. Uh, we have Pete A. Turner, who joins us on the show today. He's going to be talking to us about what he does and how he does it. He's a former combat spy turned talk show host. He was deployed for over 70 months in conflict zones. He's been on over 1,000 combat patrols. His efforts to establish networks, both internally and externally, may be a valued advisor for U.S. interests. Today, he hosts and produces the Break It Down show. Uh, he recently, oh, I'm sorry, the show recently passed its 10-year anniversary and has published over 1,500 episodes. Congratulations, man. That's so much work, but uh, it's a labor of love. But, you know, most most podcasts, like 98% of them, don't make it past episode 25. Uh, Pete is the co-chairman for the IINPS, a nonprofit think tank designed to reduce the harm and waste the U.S. causes with its foreign policy. What? 
You mean we did bad things in our foreign policy? <clears throat> CIA. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Pete. How are you? Hey, man, I'm great. It's always an honor to be on someone else's uh, show, and I, I dig it. I dig everything you're doing, and I just think the world of you. Thanks, man. I certainly appreciate it. We think the world of you too, Pete. Thanks for your tour of duty and and uh, protecting us, being that being the person between us and the bad guys in the world. So, yeah. Pete, give us a dot coms. Where should people find you on the interwebs? You know, the best place to go is is my YouTube channel. Just type in Pete A. Turner, and it should come up. That that's the, probably the best place to reach me, or Pete A. Turner on any of the big social media platforms. I primarily hang around on on Twitter and. Facebook, those are probably the best places to catch me. Otherwise, um, I'm sort of, you know, look, I don't I only have so much time for these things, right? And so I'm intermittent on all, all of the other stuff. So, but those are the spots. There you go. So uh, let's get into it. Tell us uh, about what you guys do there at your company, uh, your nonprofit, and uh, what, you, what you're up to. You know, I, when I came back from Afghanistan the last time, I was trying to be done with war and conflict, and but I knew I wanted to tell the stories. And so my buddy John was doing a little community radio thing, and we started vibing. And you know, you know how these things go; it grew, and they kicked us out. They said, "Hey, you can't be part of the community radio thing anymore. You gotta, you gotta go do something bigger. Go, go redream it." And that became the podcast. And huh. between his network and my network and the network that I built. Man, the Break It Down show. I can't believe I was interviewing Rich Little last week. Last Friday, this wow. time, I was in Rich Little's house. There you go. You know, How's he doing? So it's just, he's doing great. He's doing great. He still has a show on the strip. He, his theater is at the Tropicana. Uh -huh. And I just, it, over and over again, I've had two, he's one of them, but I've had two people that have hosted the Tonight Show on my show. I mean, That's it's just like, awesome. it's amazing. And you know how this is, it changes your life when you have a successful show and mm -hmm. you go out and, I, you know, one of the things that I do that makes me different is, is I go, if, if possible, I go to the person on, on location. Oh, wow. The other thing I do is, uh, and today, today's episode was incredible. I had uh, an author who wrote about all of the saboteurs that the, that the UK trained during World War II. And then I brought in another award-winning historian named Halleck Kochansky, and she wrote about the resistance. And these two books, these two scholars their work goes together and they had never met even though they're part of the same clubs and so i create these dynamics that otherwise aren't possible and it's man it's just i, I know you i know you recognize this everybody i know is i know because of my show my network has exploded because of the breakdown <laughs> show and the opportunities and i look around sometimes and i'm like how did i get there i it looks like i'm going to make a movie I never had a design to do this. This is just what happens when you meet all these incredible people and you create value in their lives. There you go. I, I remember Rich Little growing up watching uh, the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, if I remember, <laughs> we're talking today about my, little, my head's a little funky today. Um, the, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it, I think you should, have you done the book yet? on your stories of uh, the book is military. coming yeah the book is coming and you know book you look you know this you talk to authors i've had so many authors on the show and it's just very hard to justify the time that goes into a book because you know chances are it's like a podcast chances are you, you write it and it's like i spent you know two thousand hours writing this thing and five thousand dollars getting it published and and uh here's what i have now i have to buy a bunch of my own books <laughs> it's like I, I uh i haven't been super thrilled about doing that but it is it is coming it's plugging along i've got a zillion stories so it'll be exciting I'm when it sure comes you out do. i mean just oh, from yeah. the military alone we've had so many military folks on the show uh books great books about leadership because the military is so great at preparing leaders yeah and uh everything else and of course your adventures in the podcast world 
and all that good mm -hmm. stuff and what goes into it. So let's get into, uh, you know, what's going on. And, and, and I think your nonprofit helps help us deal with foreign policy. Tell, why don't you give us a, your journey, your hero's journey through life? How did you grow up? How did you get in the military? What motivated you to do that? Yeah. And, and get down some of the roads you went down. And, and how did become a spy? For that matter, <laughs> it's, it's all sort of uh, it all makes sense in the rearview mirror, you know. But it does it didn't was ever by design. So I just sort of do the next thing. So graduated from high school. I wasn't a bad student, but I was kind of a nonchalant with my work, and so didn't have a great GPA. Went to community college. I went to I think it was ten different colleges, and then I got a degree, and then I got a master's degree. Before I got the master's, though, I graduated. I looked around, and I, I couldn't find a job anywhere, right? Because the job market was crap. And so I took my degree and I went to the army and I became a counterintelligence agent. And, mm -hmm. and that was super simple. My, my recruiter's like, you tested off the charts. Every, you can have any job you want. And what kind of job do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. You're the recruiter. You tell me. <laughs> and I kind of just, I did the, um, you know, I did the thing like, uh, uh, you know, Lane from uh, say anything's like, I don't want to work outside. I don't want to work inside. I don't want to kill people, but I'm willing to, you know, and you like, you do all these things. And he's like, you should be an intelligence. And ah. so he's like, the higher... The higher the number, the better the job. 97 Bravo, I've never put anybody into that job. It must be awesome. And so that's how I became a counterintelligence agent. Wow. I yeah. I deployed a bunch, and it turned out I was pretty good at it because the way I approach the job, and I have a very specific skill set with this. So um, I'm a combat spy, right? So I'm, I'm good to go out and tactically collect person-to-person -person information. So it's part like news reporter. It's part... Uh, happy. I, I call myself good time, Johnny. I show up somewhere. People want to see me having a good time. And so they talk to me. So I build trust, even if it's with the enemy, because that's my job is to find the enemy, build trust with them, turn them into an asset for us. And uh -huh. so that's, that's the, the long and the short of it is, is uh, I just kept going, man. I just kept doing interesting things. And like, how can I do the next thing? And, and you wind up deploying for <laughs> years and years of your life because who else is going to and, and here's the thing is at my job counterintelligence on the ground tactical there's nobody in the military that's done this more than me and so i got i got to the black belt level and then i got to the multiple echelons of the black belt level where i'm doing things that aren't even in the book but they're hyper successful and i know i know better than almost anybody you'll ever encounter how to collect tactically for a big military unit damn damn so uh, you you did the spy thing. Uh, is there any stories that you're uh, legally, you know, non-classified allowed to tell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so because I would go off the off the camp all the time, and I'm developing trust. I'm trying to find the people that no one else, no no other Americans, going to meet, and you become influential when this happens. So at one point, I'm off in this uh, remote district, nowhere near roads. It's just Stone Age, really, where it's at. And the governor that I'm talking to, he's an Afghan governor. He says, hey, Pete, I want you to come to this meeting at, you know, at Dave's house, just a couple houses away. And so I'm like, yeah, of course, anything you want. So I go to this meeting. There's always farmers around. And I don't know anything is different. You know, they ask me some questions. I, I ask them some questions. I just do the normal standard meeting that I would do. And then um, I went home. Well, a couple of days later, the governor calls me back in his office. He's like, hey, I got to let you know something. Um, the Taliban told me to set up a meeting with you and that's what we did over at dave's house the guy's name's not dave obviously yeah yeah. but um so so they they vetted you and they've decided that you're a good dude and you're authorized to work in the valley and so wow. yeah you get 
and, and that's because I don't I don't lie about who I am. I don't lie about what my name is. I'm honest, and I'm, I, I tell them I'm here to help. I, I'm here to provide you a voice. I'm here to make us better at working with you. I'm here to make you better at working with us. And I just approach the job completely differently. And and that's what you have to do when you go to a place where people don't have enough things. You can't act like you know everything. You have to be humble. It's never about my ego. And it's all mm -hmm. about sitting and listening and understanding where they're at and then communicating to the military, State Department, whoever you're working with, to get them to calm down, slow down, and get better. There you go. Uh, are there any James Bondish sort of uh, tight, uh, dangerous situations you were in that you could sure. talk about? People yeah, like sure. So. Yeah. I mean, meeting with the Taliban, not exactly safe, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put that one on the board. Um, there's a guy named Johnny Walker. Maybe you've heard of him. He is. I'd most, usually drink uh, it. Yeah. Well, this guy did too. He's an interpreter who worked in Iraq and he was my interpreter for a while. He, he belonged mm -hmm. to the SEALs. And just because of happenstance, he ended up belonging to us. I happened to know a guy who was in the Navy and he had attended a course that I taught at. It was a spy school. Yeah. Anyhow, so he's like, hey, we're going to give you Johnny Walker. Johnny's incredible. Johnny is. Johnny has written a book. It's called Codename Johnny Walker. He Here's how influential Johnny Walker is. He is Iraqi. Never been to Bud's. Never been in the Navy. But the SEALs all say he can wear a trident on his chest because he's that much part of their brotherhood. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So he was, he was part of my, my little team that I was on. And we were given a, an assignment to go north into Kurdistan and look into some assets to see if they would uh, be useful for the American interests. Mm -hmm. And so we drove, and um, at one point on the way back, there was a checkpoint. Now, this time in northern Iraq, the checkpoint situation was pretty dicey. You didn't know what was real, what was not. You didn't know, even if they were legitimately Iraqi uh, forces or police, they still might decide on that day to have you know, give you a bad day. So they pulled us off the road. And uh, Johnny, who's got a world-class mouthpiece, gets out and he starts talking to these guys. And he is right in front of me. So I'm sitting in our car and right in front, I'm in the passenger seat. And right in front of me, Johnny is talking. And if you've ever seen Iraqi males talk, it looks like there's about, about to be a fight in an instant. And so it's very tense. I've got my, I've got my, uh, my, my gun is off. It's off safe. My finger's on the trigger. And behind me is my partner. And he and I are both going to start sending rounds through the windshield if things get dicey, and I'm going to do a dead driver drill, and I'm going to get us the hell out of there. You guys but, are on it, man. You're prepared. Finger on the trigger. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and pull the slack out. So I was ready to let go, but it, but Johnny talked, our, talked his way out of it because we weren't, we weren't doing the wrong things, and they finally believed it. And so whew, nobody got hurt. Nothing, nothing bad happened. But I'll tell you what, man, that's as close to like this is about to go down and holy – you know, but this is, this is it right here. And, and mm. it, it worked out. And I don't know that we would have gotten out of there alive. Thankfully, uh, thankfully Johnny talked them down and, you know, it's, it's just an amazing thing. I've also been hit on an American camp in an American vehicle. I got hit in the head on accident with the tank. And so you talk about danger. It's dangerous on the camp as well as off. <laughs> is someone driving a tank in your general direction or did you walk into it? No, we were driving down a road just like they were, and they hit our vehicle and the vehicle behind us, and we were all Americans. We were on our way to the airport, and uh, they were just driving down the road. They were just going home. So it's just one big group of cluster of camps, wow. and they hit us and tore the hell out of our car. And, and my buddy who was behind us in a Humvee, he got ejected out of the Humvee. It's how hard they hit him. They ejected really? him out of the Humvee, seatbelted into the seat. The seat went with him. How fast was that fucking tank going? I don't know, but it never stopped. <laughs> It, it just kept right on going. Kept right on going. Wow. Kept right on going. Well, yeah. I hope they had good insurance.
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, VA insurance, right? That's I think, true. yeah, yeah. That, that or guy isn't Geico wasn't it originally uh, government insurance? Something Probably, like that, yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's the story there. Uh, so, uh, you uh, lots of adventures uh, that have gone into your life. Uh, it, you, you probably you have so many stories. You have to do a book, man. I'm serious. Yeah. I, I'm. It's coming. I'm, I'm telling you. So if you can, just like hire somebody to do the translations and just do the audio, like give them the audio and stuff and feed it in. Um, you know, and if you got too many stories, just make it two or three books, you know, just pick, yeah. pick and space them out. That's the, that's the best way to do. Um, so, uh, what do you, what do you uh, think of what's going on in our world today? Do you want to comment on anything that's going on? There's sure. a couple of wars going on. I don't know if you've heard the news. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of wars going on. What, which, what, what do you want to talk about? Uh, just a, let's talk about this. Cause this is always fascinating. I, I the, my first book that I read was 1000 days. Uh, it wasn't my first book I read, but my first big book that I read was Schlesinger's 1000 Days. And it, it, it really opened my mind to what I started to see with uh, how we as a country stick our little fingers in everything because we're trying to support democracy. <laughs> Meanwhile, we overthrew, you know, democratic people and, right. um, and, and the muckups that we do, you know, in the eighties, uh, with, with, uh, you know, Reagan and, and, uh, uh, what was the? It wasn't Ecuador. It was uh, Iran you know, Contra. That well, there's the Iran Contra. But there's there's so much shit we've done in South America to muck around South America between overthrowing leaders. You know, Cuba, our muckups with Cuba, um, oh. and so One Thousand Days kind of opened me the first eyes of the CIA mucking stuff about you know assassinations. Uh, you know, we created Islama or Osama bin Laden. Uh, and, uh, you know, look yep. how that turned out, you know, yeah. so many different instances where we've tried to do something, putting our thumb on the scale of, well, we're trying to get democracy around the world. And, you know, yeah. so, I mean, I imagine there's rare times where we, we get it right. It seems like we get it wrong a lot and we cause our own problems. I don't know. Maybe you want to comment on some of that, you know, uh, that's contributed a little bit probably to the Ukraine, Russia thing. Yeah. Maybe to the yeah. Middle East. Who knows? It it has. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence for this. You, you talked about Osama bin Laden, Ho Chi Minh. Mm -hmm. you know, we tend to pick the wrong people. And the IAMPS that you mentioned, that's that's my nonprofit think yes. tank. And part of what we're trying to do is, like, from top to the bottom, like, if our foreign policy is askew and if it's not in touch with reality, then by the time you get down to the ground, um, it doesn't, none of it makes any sense. And so how do you link the foreign policy, the theory, the academics to the practitioners on the ground, and then, then try to figure out how to make practitioners capable, right? So I, I don't want to get too theoretic, but the, the problem we face is we make a decision, boom, we lay down, they lay down the line, and then we will try to impact other, other countries. We did this with Afghanistan, other countries' elections. Mm -hmm. Boy, if you do that to us, we get mad. Oh yeah, we, we get all that up. We lose our shit. Yeah, <laughs> but but we are we see that we have license to do that with everybody. Look, in, in, intention and quality doesn't matter because we're we're supposed to be better than that, and we have this belief. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We have this belief that you know in the Bush doctrine that freedom is a universal value and everybody wants it. So I'm talking to this Iraqi dude, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I love I love freedom. I love that you guys are here." It's great. I finally don't have all these people on my back and I can just, you know, kind of manage my own family and do things. And I said, that's great. He said, yeah, it's, it's the best thing ever. We really love America. And then the next topic we get into, he talks about how his daughter was on the roof of their house hanging laundry and she was dawdling up there and taking too much time. And because of that, he had to go up there and beat her. 
And I was like, dude, that's not how we, that's not how we do freedom right now. We don't beat our women. Yeah. Or anyone. Right. And, And what I understood later was that because she was up there, the perception that he's soft on his daughter, that they are not good Muslims, uh, it, draw atten- it would draw attention to his family. So he has to do this performative denial of freedom to, to protect his family, ultimately, and, and teach wow. this lesson to his kids. And so when you go into the world, you can't even understand that. You think this guy's some kind of monster, but where he lives, that's how he survives. Yeah. And you guys are trying to do that through your nonprofit where you're trying to help U.S. foreign policy be do a better job. You know, I remember we had we've had a few people from the Council of Foreign Relations on, but we had Richard Haas on. And I believe it was him who talked about it. One of our problems that we have with our the the way our country works is, you know, every four years, roughly, I mean, unless we get somebody gets reelected, you know, we bring in a whole new administration. That's right. And they have all these they have these great ideas they think they've won they're, they're so high on life because they won the lottery um yeah. and so they they think they have this mandate or you know uh the, we're here to change the world those last guys were fuck-ups but we're here to make all the difference and yeah and and, and the the, cha- the discussion has been that it's it's what's created the problems of the middle east and it's what's created the problems in other worlds because um you know somebody comes in they change everything and then it and then you know and, and like the tal I, I believe the taliban in afghanistan and I'm, I'm sure china i believe has the same sort of attitude they're just like we can't take these idiots for serious because every four years you know some guy's got you know they're going y and they're going z and you know you just never know and then if somebody who really seems to know what they're doing comes into place you just need to wait a couple more years and they'll be gone uh and so i think uh i think that's one of the things according to them that contribute to our failed foreign policy in some areas of the world. Well, our priorities are, are messed up. I, I'm going to use um, the ground level. I'm going to use Mr. Beast as an example. He recently drilled a bunch of, of, of uh, wells in Africa. And so you do mm-hmm. that and, you, and we feel good about ourselves. Like, oh, Mr. Beast is the best. And I'm not saying Mr. Beast is not a great guy. I'm just sure. saying you don't get to go in and start changing people's worlds without mm-hmm. spending a lot of time knowing those people, understanding the culture. And so when you when you come in and say, hey, we're going to go drink, drill these wells, even if someone's asked you to do it, you don't know how you're impacting that community. You don't know what's happening one community over. Did you just get a bunch of people killed because you went in somewhere and, and you gave them fresh water? And by the way, as soon as you have fresh water, and it's great to do that, what do you do with the wastewater? All this water that's been used, that's been whatever. It's, it has to go somewhere because you don't want to create a bunch of disease and give a government that doesn't have the capacity to deal with that a bigger problem. So we, we th- he gave them right, water, so, but he didn't give them toilets. Right, exactly. And, and toilets or food or any anywhere where that water goes, if it picks up any kind of pathogen or any kind of, yeah. of chemical compound, uh, if it's in the dirt resting because they don't, the water is never wet enough and now it yeah. comes out. There's so many problems with these things. And so, like, well, that's the next problem. Like, you don't get to do that. You don't get to go out and just change someone's world and, and say you didn't do any harm because, okay, that's fine. Have, send me and I'll go out there right now and we'll find out what kind of harm is there because there's always harm. The U.S. always destabilized. That's our norm is that we destabilize. And the IMPS is built to try to gather all of the experts and, and, mm-hmm. and look at what the actual foreign policy should be because we'll pick a foreign policy and we'll use Ukraine as an example. You have all these businessmen who are doing incredible industrial things and providing stability throughout Europe. And then you come in and say, these guys are oligarchs. All right, 
why are they oligarchs? Well, they have a lot of influence. Okay. And, and they're, they're tied to Russia. Like, well, Russia is right next door. And these guys were all former Soviets. So, yeah, that's true. But we don't like them. Well, why? And so you have all these problems that come from that. One of the things that happens in Ukraine is as they try to get rid of these, I'm doing quoted fingers, oligarchs, they'll, um, they'll seize a factory. And they'll say, hey, this factory that makes aggregate for uh, concrete, um, you are an oligarch, we're going to seize it. And so they'll seize it and they'll take all the money out of the bank and throw everybody who works there in jail. And mm -hmm. then a couple months later, they'll come back to that businessman and they'll say, hey, um, we're going to uh, ask you to take over this aggregate plant. We actually don't know how to run it <laughs> and it's going terrible for us. Oh so uh, we'll give it back to you. And you're like, yeah, well, I need my guys out of jail. Yeah, and I need my money back. They're like, no, 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 money's gone. Sorry. And so that's part of this corruption wheel. And the people that we pick, um, even in Ukraine, you know, we look mm. at like um, Timoshenko, the female president. I don't know if you know all these characters, but yeah. this is an actual criminal. This is actually someone that went to Russia <laughs> and uh, went crawfish on a deal that benefited Ukraine. And we're like, yeah, because pretty, speaks English, and um, a woman. And boy, like that that checks all these boxes. Oh, God damn so it. I, our priorities get messed up, and we're afraid to go let people who are good at what they do. And we did this in Iraq a lot. We're afraid to let people who do the leading do the leading if they're from the wrong party or the wrong ideology or the wrong whatever. And, and these folks have no idea they're on the wrong side of anything. They, mm -hmm. they just know that the person, and look, I'll give you an example from Iraq. I mean, I'm in this village and they're like, everything here is messed up. It's the common theme. Everything here is messed up. Tell me why. Well, first off, our, our mayor, he was the cobbler. And you're like, okay, so what? They're like, he wasn't even the best cobbler. He's terrible, and he does only things for his own. And look, maybe none of this is true, but that's where you start. It's like they have a problem with their cobbler, and and uh, he's now a mayor. So you go talk to the mayor, and you find out what his problems are, and then you slowly work your way through this problem, and you find out that we are the main problem because we bring in corruption. We bring in too much power, and whenever we come somewhere, we warp reality to our own need. And uh, I'm telling you right now, man, it doesn't work. And that's why we lose all these wars, because we don't. Our foreign policy is out of alignment with reality. And the people who work on the ground, they'll say things like, Chris, this is what they say. They'll say, uh, it's an army guy talking, right? He's like, hey, I don't care what the mayor wants. My boss wants this. And you're like, dude, your boss is not the mayor. And so one of the biggest lessons I learned, and I'm going to shut up after this, I had, a, I had a governor, and he looks at me and says, Pete, you really want to help? There's only room for one sword in the scabbard. And I'm like, you're right. Who's the sword? He's like, you got to tell me. And I'm like, all right, it needs to be you. So I got to go convince the army boss, this is an infantry commander. I got to go convince him and say, hey, only room for one sword in the scabbard. Who's it going to be? And he's got to say, what's well, that guy? And how many commanders will accept that lesson? Most of them won't. It takes a long time to get them to see that we have to get behind the Afghan or the Iraqi plan. And we just, we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's dangerous. It's deliberate. The progress doesn't fit a timeline. And like you said, you got elections, you got one-year combat tours, and there's budget cycles, and none of these things relate to what I have to do on the ground. Yeah. Is, is it true that these things are driven by our oligarchs that own Halliburton and other things? Is this really, is there truth behind, do you think, um, the fact that basically our war machines, our companies, um, are, are the real driving force between the stupid shit that we're always doing with our little band of Zionism? <laughs> At my cynical worst, 
sure, you know, like these guys want this. The, the reality is, is the people that get hired to work in the DC world and, and then who work for the contractors, these are all the same people. And so they have all of the same ideas. So, so when this Russia thing kicked off, you have to count how many people in DC have PhDs on there's a war in Russia, here's what's going to happen. And these people are all, they're, they're, look, I don't want to be unfair, but they are rabid about this. They're desperate for it to happen because this is their chance to get into the lab and prove their point and be smart. And these are all mm -hmm. smart people. But, but if you, if you create the conflict, it, it doesn't make you smart. <laughs> like there's nothing good about a war. When, once the war dragon gets out, it consumes everything. It never starves. It feasts. It eats people. It, it destroys lives, destroys fortunes. It never stops. You can't get it back into the box. It just yeah. continues to kill people. And, and no one can control it. I, I'm great at war. I'm great at it. If the war dragon chose me, there wouldn't be a damn thing I could do about it. A damn near did choose me. I mean, I, I nearly took my own life at one point. I was so really? I was so obsolete, right? So we have to make better decisions. And these folks in D.C., you know, all the folks fomenting this thing about, you know, China's going to invade Taiwan. Knock it off. No, they're not. Let's, let's not focus on that. Why would they go across 100 miles of open ocean? To go to an enemy that's ready for them. Come on, let's let's not create that. Let's let's get better. Look, if, if I had my way, I would take people out. We'd be international people. We would go learn how to work culturally, so that I can have these people blend into any culture in the world, and and not influence, but listen and work within their system to figure out what is the. I used to always say, what is the smallest problem we can solve today? And they would say X. And I'm like, go to the government and let's start working on it. So they would go to the government. That's a great result. Now they went to mm -hmm. their government to solve problem X. And then we would see, and the, the problems were small, but that's where you start. You can't just say, hey, go build a mall over here and hire a bunch of people because we want to improve the economy. That never works. Yeah. it's it, it, Like I say, it was, it was interesting to me to read 1,000 Days and uh, the first Cuba crisis and how the CIA misled John F. Kennedy um, yeah. and, and uh, you know, the subsequent things. Uh, the things in the 80s that the Reagan policy did that basically turned South America into a killing field. And a lot of what's interesting about Americans and American society is we don't connect any of these dots. Like we don't connect that all the mucking around and fucking around that we did in South America, uh, going back in the eighties and seventies, uh, you know, even the mucking around Cuba, um, you know, Fidel Castro would have flipped to us. We just, we just were like, no, we already got a guy to fill a position. Fuck off. He adored the United States. He, he, he sent money. He sent it. He sent in the thing to get a, a dollar bill from us when he was a kid and he would have easily flipped to us. But we're just like, no, nah, we got a guy. You're fine. You're rebels, yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And all these things, all these events are tied together. And like, you know, right now everyone complains about, oh, we don't, you know, we got to fix the border and blah, blah, blah. And, and yet we have employment shortages. We actually need people. Um, yeah. And, but they're like, you know, we have all these people, you know, coming from South America is so bad. Yeah, because we fucked it up. We we put our fingers on the scale and mucked up the whole yeah, continent yeah. for 40 years. That's on yeah. us when it comes Chris, down to it. My rule on, on instability operations is that wherever mm -hmm. we show up, we create more instability. And, yeah. and the second rule is, is that we refuse to accept that. Yeah. And so as soon as the State Department shows up, but I'm going to be I'm going to be hard on these guys because guess what? They can take it and they've made a lot of mistakes. And when they do, yeah. people die. So yeah. that's part of the IMPS. This charter is like, hey, yeah. knock it off. 
Stop picking people. Slow down. You're not the smartest person in the room. Yep. And you have, you have to respect the fact that they have a way of doing things. And mm -hmm. if you're uncomfortable doing, accomplishing your goal along their cultural path, then you're in the wrong business, man. Like, yeah. that's how it has to be. You can't, we love to tell the countries what to do and then about face and walk away from them. You know, hey, all you women in Afghanistan, you can have a future. I, I'm, I'm a peer-reviewed published author on female engagement in foreign countries, Afghanistan-focused. Yeah. We'll say, hey, you can, be in a, you can be an astronaut. You can go to college. You, you can have rights. And they're like, hey, by the way, see you later. And we disappear. <laughs> and all of these women, they get killed. And, and you can't show up in someone's village and say, I'm here to talk to the women. The biggest training aspect of this is... Is the I've been in the rooms. The the person someone will say, "Hey, we got to get on the female engagement thing. What are we going to do?" And someone will say, "Have uh have Miller do it. She's a female, and that's the end of the qualifications. Wow. Are you a female? You can go engage, and it's reckless, it's dangerous, and it's inappropriate. Yeah, what's and the it's normal line? that we do that? What's yeah. the online? Yeah. The most scariest thing to hear in the world is, "I'm here with the U.S. government. I'm here to help you." That's Reagan. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. When the State Department shows up, I know uh, that mistakes are being made. I've yeah, watched. You, I've watched. You go ahead. I was I was referencing earlier in the show the El Zmote uh, uh, massacre in El Salvador and some of the. I mean, we were literally creating killing squads, yeah. uh, funding yeah. killing squads in South America. Um, you know, you look at the British failures in Afghanistan, the Russian failures in Afghanistan, and somehow we just go in there like, freedom will fix everything. And, yes. uh, you know, uh, you look at you look at Iraq and how we went and destabilized basically the whole fucking region, empowered Iran, shut down. You know, I mean, technically, the, the war between Iran and Iraq was actually good <laughs> for everyone. Uh, this uh, unleashing this uh, Sunni uh, Shiite sort of thing, you know, no one saw that coming. That oh wait, if we, if we, you know, it turns out, turns out maybe some areas of the world need a brutal dictator. I don't know, maybe that's yeah. counter, counter State Department sort of thing. But maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe not everyone needs freedom. Basically, yeah. it's you know, it, we well, don't, well, we all don't need do. fucking Big Macs. Maybe they do. Maybe they crave freedom, but we're not. We don't have license to go in. We don't have the the technicians, yeah. the the uh, practitioners. This is the bottom part of what the IMPS does. Is how do you get someone licensed? So first off, does someone who have foreign policy are they any good at this? I mean, look, we look at the crews that have been in charge the last twenty five years. The generals, the foreign policy people, they all are losers. They haven't done it. They haven't accomplished what they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then you send a bunch of kids out who. Uh, have no capacity for foreign language. They have no capacity for religion. One of the things I love to talk about people who think they know anything about this kind of work is how do you factor religion into this? Like religion, yeah. and they brush it aside like, well, almost everywhere else in the world, you have to work within the confines of the religion. Because yeah. if you ignore that, then you are ignoring a base part of their culture. So There's like, a lot uh, of Muslims in the world. You yeah, can't just run the, um, with, uh, you know, American Judeo-Christian everywhere. Right. Oh, the, what does the Iraq flag have on it? It says Allah Akbar on it. You know, think religious is important there. Well, it's, it's, yeah, that's what that means. Holy on the, on crap. The flag. I had no idea. And it means it not like in a terrorist way. It means it yeah. like in a God is, you know. So and then um, the government for Afghanistan, when we were there, and that's not this anymore, the word Islamic is the second. So it's the Islamic Republic, you know, government of the Islamic Republic of, of Afghanistan. Yeah. And so the word Islamic is in it. And we don't even, like, that. 
I'm not even allowed to, I've been to mosques, but I'm not even allowed by, by policy to go into a mosque. Well, if someone offers me a shot on Ramadan and, and they're Islamic, I'm drinking it. I don't care. If they say come into our mosque, that's my job. That's my, I'm licensed to do that because I've earned the stripes. Yeah. And so I can go into a mosque and I can understand that when Afghans make a decision, a real no shit community decision, there's a holy man in that room. And if not, it's performance. Yeah. And we cannot, we hate that as Americans. And that's the stuff that we have to learn is that religion matters. You can't just start with fixing female problems. Here, here's, a, here's a rubric for how this works. So there's, there's two different rubrics. One is, is it, and we'll use Afghanistan. Is it Afghan inspired? Is it their idea? Is it Afghan led? And is it Afghan provisioned? Are we augmenting? Then, okay, let's do that. Now we can do whatever we want and make an exception by design, but that's the standard. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, so I, I was talking to this governor, and one of the, I've mentioned it before, and he was saying to me, my number one priority is to get these girls educated and, and to improve their condition. And we're way off the main route, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. How does that work? He's like, well, first thing is, remember, first priority is women. First thing is, is boys have to get educated because if they're not educated, then everything falls apart. And I'm like, okay, so the girls are behind the boys. No, no, girls are first, but boys have to be educated first to create stability and, and long-term education. Okay, before that can happen. So now, now we're at, okay, there has to be security. And so I'm like, how does that work? And it was, it works three ways. And I'll boil this down real fast. It was, can the man leave the house and go to work and not be accosted, killed, threatened, and everything else? If <laughs> That's he can always do a good that, thing. Right. Can his compound be safe while he's gone from it? That's a second facet of, of security. And then and only then can you project your kids safely out to school to because school. he's safe. Mm -hmm. The house is safe. Now the kids are safe to go out. If you don't have those three elements in this one valley, you can't advance the ball. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. I, it's. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, it seems like we just have this attitude of like, we're going to show up and we're going to bring McDonald's and Taco Bell and malls and everything's <laughs> going to be fine. We'll just I say it like this. Yahoo! <laughs> Here we are. We're Americans. <laughs> That's how I say it. It's, it's all that American. stuff in one, right? Yeah. yeah. We're going to, we're going to have the us a barbecue. American. That's how we got the term <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Else. I got to say this though. This is important. Everybody wants to do great. Everybody's educated. Yeah. Everybody's trying their best. But it doesn't work. Slow down, right? Yeah. So, so everybody has the right intention. We all want to help. We're desperate to do it. Americans are great about that. And yeah. we spend our hard-earned tax money on this stuff. But let's stop effing up as much. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. Sometimes as much, you know. And I, I, and I suppose, you know, we, we always like, there's, there's always the joke memes about how, how uh, anything that happens in the world, we're just like, yeah, that's, we don't care. Is there oil there? No, no oil. Okay, we don't give a yeah. fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it seems to be it seems to be like more uh like the 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 government is is an oligarchy uh policeman enforcer. We're an enforcer for oligarchs, uh anything these days. And I'm yeah. quoting uh, uh I'm quoting a few different people who call us an oligarchy at this point, uh including uh President Carter. Uh, but and I, I think we're very close to that at, at this point in time, especially when you see Citizens United and different SCOTUS rulings that have made it. So you can you can just buy a SCOTUS judge now uh, if you're a billionaire. You just own one. It's pretty cool. You can put them on your mantle and shit. You know, give them a little RV to keep them happy and shit. You know, you're you're yeah. in business. So how does we've talked about foreign policy and how the ways we muck it up? How does your think tank, the uh, IINPS, how do you guys? Yeah. Uh, you know, talk to these uh, people at the State Department or foreign policy advisors and go, 
Hey, hey dudes, uh, let's try something different. Well, we invite them in. You know, we we have to have these folks be part of the process. So part of who we are is we are we have ambassadors. These are people that have mm -hmm. been in D.C. forever. They know how that part of the machine works. Mm -hmm. They can call into the White House. They can get counsel because you have to have the entire stack of of talent, right? And yeah. so we we're we're working with the preeminent cultural intelligence expert in the world because we talk about emotional intelligence, man. If you don't got cultural intelligence, if you don't got CQ, <laughs> if you don't understand, you're, you're obsolete. Yeah, yeah, like it doesn't matter how someone feels or how you think they feel. Yeah. Uh, if you can't, what here's this will amaze you. There is no sophisticated professional uh, training for working with an interpreter. It's all ad hoc. It's all basically made up, and it's all based on a lack of trust because they use a Vietnam model where these people would come in and they would lie. So instead <laughs> of saying you are a better version of of me because you're going to communicate for me with this other person and teaching this person what you want and how you do it and and, and treating them like an asset we treat interpreters like they're second-class citizens even if these people have been in america wow. longer than us or even if they're local kids you have to say i'm an american we're going to work on this together and you have to empower these guys look you have to do your work and you have to you know check them and everything but mm -hmm. but that's that's simple that's straightforward we don't do that so no one's even trained there was not a specific book matter of fact i'll tell you exactly now in the intelligence in the counterintelligence manuals there is a part where it talks about work with an interpreter there are more words on the basic how to deploy a mine fast fact sheet than there are in that book on how to work an interpreter which do you think is more complicated <laughs> working an interpreter yeah, for all you know yeah. the guy's sitting there just going uh the city of america told me this he's full of shit so just whatever yeah. just pretend just nod yeah. your head <laughs> yeah so so these are the things that we try to fix and so that's why we grab these ambassadors we grab people from the state department um one of the guys we're going to be talking to soon is he was the senior enlisted advisor for all of the military. So he is the senior enlisted soldier, Airman. Mm -hmm. He represents everybody. And he's like, man, I'm desperate to help with what you guys are doing because I get it. You know, and it's it's not just the folks on the ground. It's everywhere all the way up the stack of people operationally, you know, procedurally, all these folks have to understand that what we are doing, our recipe right now, mm -hmm. it ain't working. It ain't working. Yeah. And and you mentioned earlier in the show, um, you know these these guys who have a hard on to you know uh, you know the books they've written and the things they've talked about they're they're in they're they're interested in going to war. I mean, if you could sit down with John Bolton and maybe calm his ass down, that would be great. Yeah, you know, I mean yeah. that that guy wants to go to war with Iraq so much. He I, or not Iraq, Iran so much. Um, I, I'm surprised he hasn't just swam over there with a gun already and <laughs> I, started you know, firing. I, I, I don't know John Bolton. I've never worked for him. I don't know anybody who's worked for him. I know a lot of people, but I have no connection to him. But I don't I don't take him seriously. And and here, here's why. Okay, he started the Iraq War. Yeah, well, so okay, here's where the IMPS model works, right? So he yeah. has this wrong idea, right? Now we go on the ground and you go to Afghanistan and every unit shows up, we're gonna push south and we're gonna ensnare the, 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 the Taliban and, and, and what, make them stack arms, give you their flag and have a ceremony and they quit, yeah. that ain't gonna happen. And so I'd be out with these, these are hard soldiers. These are infantry people that wanna go, they're spoiling for a fight. And guess who never shows up to that fight? I, I said this on uh, one of Glenn Beck's shows one time I was on it. Mm -hmm. He's like, why don't we just blow them up? I'm like, dude, they don't stand in a field and wait to get blown up. They yeah, they're not like, up. hey, over here. This is a great place yeah. to drop something. Yeah. Because the second we leave, they can just walk right back into that village and have way more influence than us. And yeah. you can tell this to any commander, like, well, then we'll push harder. 
you can't just go harder or, or, or all the time. You yeah. have to understand that making the Taliban die and go away is just not going to work. We tried and tried. The Marines tried to kill every Taliban guy they could, right? And I love the Marines. Yeah. But you you cannot get these guys to surrender because they and will not. So forget the idea thing. That we can't even get them to hurt bad enough to quit. Yeah. And and you saw how well that worked out after 20 plus years in Afghanistan. Yeah. Just yeah. overnight, the country is like, no, we're going back the way we always been for 10 billion years tribal and and uh medieval uh -huh. and, and uh yeah. we like this sort of shit we're not into taco bell they all had their deals in place you know the number one line on every battle commander's uh, mission statement is close with and destroy the enemy or, or some form of that mm -hmm. and when you aren't doing that every day if you're not destroying the enemy every day what else can you do and there are things you can do you can stabilize the government you can make people believe in the government you can get you know all these other aspects that allow you to leave the country when, when we leave an area as a, as a military, we just poof, disappear. We don't tell anybody. We're so bad at partnering. We don't say, hey, in about six months, we're going to leave. No fooling. We're going to leave. What do we got to do? Here's the time we have left. What do we want to do? I would be one of those guys. I would go talk to the governors and the mayors, and I would say, no fooling. In about three weeks, we're leaving. And they would look at me and just go pale. They're like, uh, if you leave, I'm going to die. And it's true. The one, I'm, I'm thinking of right now. I dude got killed about six weeks after we left. Holy and shit. So, that is what we do. We promise all this stuff, and then we keep it a secret for, for OPSEC. We don't allow the people who are going to have to lead this government, we don't allow them in the room when we tell them what we, when we tell each other what we think the government's capable of. And so we hide all this stuff. This is simple. Invite the people who hold the, the reins of the government to the meeting where we talk about the government so we can learn what they need, not what we need. And help them fix and that's, it. Yeah. That's why we fail. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's crazy, right, to think that you can mm. show up Go, okay, it's fixed. Self-assess your own work and then leave and be like, how come it didn't work? Yeah. It doesn't work like that. It's it's pretty, I don't know, it's weird. Uh, I'm here with the U.S. government. I'm here to help you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, I love our country. I love, I love America. Exactly. I love the vision of what we're technically trying to achieve. But, uh, you know, there's some places that, I don't know, maybe they're just fine without freedom. Um, and if they want freedom, well, just fucking fight for it for yourself. You you can tune into you know our Western culture and all that shit, and you can see we, we don't need to we don't need to be over here. It, you know, do do your thing, man. We did it. We you know we didn't. No one helped us when we fucking overthrew Britain and shit. And, and <laughs> no no one was no one was like, hey, uh, you need some help with that democracy over there. We're just like, no, nah, yeah. just let's fucking do this. Um, we got yeah. this. Um, you know, maybe I'm not saying that we some... can't do that. And we did get help. The French and the Dutch, these, these people true. financed and everything. Uh, the thing is, is that we can't just go over there without developing professional capacity to accomplish the mission yeah. and be tough enough to withstand the fact that, hey, we're screwing it up. And if your policy is bad over and over again, like, say, Susan Rice, right? Mm -hmm. I'm picking her not because of party. I'm picking her because of, of talent. Mm -hmm. And she ran out of town a long time ago. And so we were put in these terrible positions where, where someone else has made a decision that's not based in any kind of reality. Yeah. You know, um, I, I can do it all day with, with all of these folks who are in this policy world because they get it wrong and there's no penalty. There's never like, hey, what, you know what happens? They get hired to go somewhere else and spread more nonsense that just doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, every four years, you got somebody new coming in, a bunch of new college recruits. I remember reading, you know, about John F. Kennedy, you know, and they had all the yeah. college boys who were the first time trying to run a war, you know, and they're trying to run a war of accounting where they're like, hey, if you kill somebody, we need proof. You got to bring a dead body back from, you know, t 
20 miles into the fucking jungle. You're right. like, what? How many torsos? Yeah. Wait, what the fuck do you want? Where it's hard enough to kill him, man. Um, yeah. and uh, but they're like, oh, they don't, they don't count. You're like, are we running a business here? Are we on a, yeah. and you know all the shit that we've done over the years. Um, uh, and and you know every like like I think we have people talk about on the show every four to eight years. There's a whole mess of new. I mean, technically even every four years because usually White Houses will overturn their staff. Um, and, uh, you know, so you got these new college kids in going, I'm going to save the world and solve middle leagues problems. And you're like, you, I mean, what makes you special? I just graduated. (laughs) Uh, I've been with, I was with McKinsey group for four years. Oh, well, that's fucking great. Uh, how'd you earn that thing again? I graduated college. Oh, that's nice. Um, so not not to bash the McKenzie group too much, but it has kind of become a kind of meme. Um, uh, final, uh, as we go out, let's wrap the show. Um, uh, tell people maybe, how, how, can they get involved with your nonprofit as a donate thing? How can uh, maybe they get involved with it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to up our production of, of products so that people can start to learn and gather these things. That's the first thing. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, probably this week or next, we're going to relaunch a YouTube channel based on it. We're going to start putting out products. And that's when we'll really be ready to start to do this. We're going to have our first summit in January in D.C. at the Army-Navy Club. So the 15th and 16th of January, you can come out to the Army-Navy Club and and get to see real people, real practitioners who know shit and understand what this is and then talk to foreign policy people so that we can go slow down. Let's get this right. Let's improve our accuracy because people die when we don't, we, we waste trillions of dollars getting stuff wrong and uh, we have to, we have to stop doing that. So the best way to get involved is, Hey, you can email me Pete at break show.com. And then if, if, uh, if, if that's what you want to do, I'll, I'll find a way to put you to work, but we're, yeah. we're going to look and we're going to partner with other think tanks too, right? We don't have all the answers, but we're going to grab the experts that do and, and create efficiency and, and, and create some elegance to our, our work. Because like you said, you can't have a bunch of, you can't have a bunch of Ivy league people who want to work for the state department, getting things wrong nonstop. I mean, it's, it's mm. has to, it has to, has to, has to improve. And I'm not saying that we'll get it right. I'm not saying that we can accomplish all these goals, but we cannot accomplish these goals if, if we are incompetent and if we are acting inappropriately as a norm, if we are creating instability, then maybe your premise is right. Maybe we shouldn't even be there at all. I think yeah. we can create stability, but we have to get way better at being bad at this. So yeah. that we can go, wow, this is where we got to improve. And, and yeah. we don't like to be bad. You know, I, I was hearing, uh, I think it was, you know, I'm not being partisan here by naming names. Don't freak out people and, and flip out. But, you know, Mitch McConnell, I think, said it best. And I believe Biden has said it as well. Um, the, you know, the, the Ukraine effort is interesting. It's, it's really flushed out, you know, but what was once thought of as the second greatest military in the world to being the second greatest military in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> I yeah. sold that joke yeah. from some of the state department. Um, the, uh, um, and, and, and they, they're burning down the, you know, what shitty sort of military the Russian had, and they're really exposing mm-hmm. like all the cracks. If it wasn't for yeah. nuclear weapons, Jesus Christ. And we're not even sure those work at this point. It's kind of like, what was that show with Sean Connery? Uh, the where, Rock? no, it wasn't, yeah, there's oh. that, that, there's that. But there was a, it was called The Russia House. Oh, and it yeah, was, yeah. Right. It was a great movie where they find out 
and this is probably you know what we found out during the first Iraq war and I believe that's why Russia fell the USSR fell is because they're like holy shit they got cameras on their missiles <laughs> we got shit <laughs> we just just quit already um, yeah. but they it's it's a great uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting story about how they find out the Russians you know couldn't launch a missile on a good day um, and that it's just a paper tiger really. And so we kind of found that out seeing what's going on with the Iraq war, but Mitch McConnell and I believe Joe Biden have said it in, in tandem that basically we're using the Russia war to kind of just get rid of all this old ordinance that we've had laying around so that we can make new ordinance and refill our, our coffers. It's kind of interesting money sort of inventory process. Like, I've never known a business to say, hey, we should start a war with, uh, I don't know, we should go fight Amazon so that they yeah. they uh, unload all of our inventory so we can have fresh inventory. And you're just like, that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and who's making money off of this again? Oh, well, I can see how yeah. this works. Um, uh -huh. you know, yeah. I By the no way, war is none. terrible. Where war is terrible for the environment. You know what it costs to have a cubic yard of concrete go fifty feet in the air and be part of a building? Like it's, really, it's enormous. Oh my gosh, it's enormously expensive in terms of, you know, petrochemicals and everything. I do, but I don't want to get distracted by that. What I what I want to say about Ukraine is is look, um, Russia is not able to defeat Ukraine. Ukraine is not able to defeat Russia. This is exactly what the U.S. wants. We want a stalemate. The problem is, is that Russia is going to own all the. Eastern real estate, most likely in this. And that's where all the industrial capacity is. Plus the grain so, we need. Right. Well, Ukraine can grow food, right? But what they need to be able to do and what they want to do is, is be a better option for us than China. So they want to build yeah. industrial capacity in the West, get away from Russia and not rely on them. This is an enormous yeah. opportunity for us. But we have to allow these oligarchs to do good business. Yeah. And allow them to be great at that, and and we don't we don't like that. And so we're going to have some worse version. Instead of having Ukraine saying, "Hey, let us manufacture things for you," we're going to have some I don't know some. We're going to take a place that's got so much energy in its dirt, and we're going to turn it into a solar farm or something. You know, it'd be some <laughs> dumb. I, I, I promise you, this is going to happen. When we go as part of the reconstruction, we're going to teach Ukrainian farmers how to grow food. I promise you that's going to happen because that's in the playbook. Like we, we did in Afghanistan Iraq. where we forced we them all to give up poppy fields. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can tell you about poppy fields. You want to hear about poppy fields? I'll tell you about poppy fields. Yeah. It's, it, was all, it was all nonsense, all, all of it. All of these programs that the people dream up. Yeah, there's literally a guy in every in every state of Afghanistan, right? It's province, but every state has a guy who's his American, and his job is to bring the Taliban in from the cold. Like, hey, we have a program. We'll get you all educated. We'll teach we'll you Microsoft you. Word, you know. Sick. And that guy can deploy for a year and do zero. Never, ever, ever bring a Taliban guy in, and they would be like, "That's cool. Bring mm. the next guy in," and they would fail, and they would fail, and they would fail. It's because it's not real. It's nonsense. Yeah. So why have that dude there, right? That goes back yeah. to your thing. Don't even have that guy. Yeah. Send him off. Like, uh, uh, hey, you guys should give up poppy fields and and uh, grow corn. You know, and some mm -hmm. shit like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Me, like, I didn't even know how important yeah. Ukraine was to the world. Like when the war first yeah. broke out, I'm like, why are we fighting? I mean, I, I I understood that he was probably, and I believe they found that there were plans to basically start a nato thing um and take over the the a uh, few of the small countries next to um ukraine and and probably you know push 
the boundaries of, of what NATO would do. But uh, I didn't know they were like the number one sunflower seed exporter to the world. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of shit that depends on that. Fertilizer. I believe they're the number mm-hmm. one fertilizer. And the number two or three for grain uh, providing. Um, like there are parts of the world that are starving because they can't get the grain from Ukraine. And you're just like, mm-hmm. holy shit, this is, this is a hell of a fight over resources on top of everything else. Yeah. yeah, and there's also a legal problem there because of the corruption and the government's desire to snatch up companies. The um, these things go to court, and then they have to exit the Ukrainian court because the Ukrainian court is too corrupt. To, and and <laughs> look, look back a month ago, and you you find out why. But you have to exit into the greater European courts to get your finding. That doesn't mean it's enforceable in Ukraine, but it's like, hey, they owe me five hundred dollars, and you go back to Ukraine. Well, when the greater business community sees that, and they're like, what do you mean they seized your asset, stole five hundred million dollars, didn't agree to the court to see it? I'm not going to invest in that, and wow. so that binds up everything because we can't get our hands wrapped around the corruption. Partly because we are the corruptor. Have you seen the shit that we're doing on the ground? I believe 60 Minutes covered this. Like, we're doing way more than military shit on the ground. Like, we've got people in there trying to teach stuff, and and I can't remember what it, like, just, like, road work, tunnels. Like, we're, we're, we're involved in a lot of shit. It's almost society rebuilding. Yeah. yeah, and they want to have a more perfect society, but they can't even fix the problems in their own towns, right? We all, we yeah. all have problems. And instead of listening to the Ukrainian leaders, and allowing these guys to lead Ukraine forward and away from Russia, yeah. which is what we all want, we we want to come in and, and give them the problems that we have. Look, there's there's a time and a place to get to these other problems, right? <sighs> okay, we want to give we, them the problems we have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like things are working out really well. We got senators fist fighting. Uh, we got yeah, elbowing. We we got basically fascist, pre-fascist violence going on in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We spent so much, uh, you know, what, eight, 10, 12 trillion in fucking the Afghan Iraq war where we didn't fund schools and now everyone's dumb as fuck and they think that fucking fascism, authoritarianism might be really a cool change. I heard a senator the other day on Face the Nation talking about how maybe it is time we try populism. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. what? We're having these conversations. People don't realize the conversation that's going on right now. If you study fascism and authoritarianism, we are fucking on the fast rails. Um, yeah. And and when you're seeing violence break out with political leaders, we're here, man. This is Mussolini, Nazi shit. When you got some guy who's the head of a, a party using terms of Hitler and vermin on fucking purpose... We are on, we're on the rails and that's what makes me laugh so hard when you're like, yeah, we're over in Ukraine trying to help them have the same problems we do. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Maybe we yeah. should just all fix us first, man. There's, there's two axioms that I love to use. One, and look, I, I am for everybody. I believe in everybody, right? I, so don't get me wrong on this, but diversity and unity are opposite. They're mm-hmm. antonyms. Yeah. And it's not easy to sit in the middle between those two as a society. So there are going to be sacrifices and some of it's going to suck. So yeah. antonyms, diversity and unity. So you can't go to somewhere and just blow that country up because you're trying to bring diversity in. Like, leave them alone. Let's work on where they're at and where they want to be. And then the, the other big thing is, is, this is just for our political leaders, um, picking the lesser of two evils is picking evil. So we've got to... You've got to get better people, man. You and I should be running head to head. I'm like, hey, I'm going to bring us forward, you know, rather than like, we can't pick from the lowest common denominator because someone's electable, you know, like 
that's not that's not a recipe for success. Let's not export that anywhere else. Yeah, and the Kim Kardashianism of our politics has really gotten stupid. Like I yell at people all the time now. Um, like I don't. I quit being quit being uh, cowtoed, led around by the nose by whatever the hottest stupid shit is that they're talking about. You know what? Whatever the, the performative politicians are out there uh, uh, doing. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. Somebody gave me this. It might have been on Morning Joe or Face the Nation, but somebody made this comment that one of the problems we have in our politics is the small donor issue and originally the small donor issue was something where like people were like hey we're getting away from the fucking oligarchs who you know with citizens united who can buy you know their politicians and we're getting into these small donor things well evidently the small donor things is just batshit motherfucking backwoods americans who will fund these social media performative people and send them every dime that they fucking have, like some, you know, those crazy reverends. And so these politicians that are performative, that don't do any legislation, really, um, have learned that if they just do political stunts when the mic's on, that they can, you know, put out a thing and they'll get all these batshit individual donations from, yeah. you know, these specialty groups and, you know, a bunch of people who, you know, they're sitting at home with, I don't know, whatever, I'm not going to profile, but you know what I mean? And I didn't even realize that. I was like, hey, you know, yeah. those, those homegrown, turns out they're not. Turns out they're actually the staple for these for these performative guys. And it's like, I don't want to hear your batshit thing about, I don't know, we, we're arguing over bathrooms. How about if you fix the infrastructure in this country? Yeah. We got like shit falling apart. We got like bridges falling down. We got, you know, uh, what's the old joke about how if 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 the air force had to hold a bake sale like teachers do um you know and, and i i love people that always tell me about what's in the constitution those are my favorite people because i oh, yeah. Yeah. i carry a constitution you see around and, I'll, I'll, and most most pe most people in the press do and the, you you ask somebody where is that in here again yeah like yeah. It, yeah. anybody who quotes the constitution pretty much almost nine times out of ten has no idea where the fuck that is and it's not in the constitution they're just making shit up that's unconstitutional it's like yeah well, show me where that is in the thing and uh they just make up whatever they want but a uh, great fun discussion on foreign policy and uh, as always um hopefully you guys can help make the world better give us your final pitch out pete for the podcast and uh what you're doing there at the nonprofit as we go out so to break it down show my niches anytime any company any country anything anywhere i'll just i'll go talk to people so i talk to all kinds of people and if that's your bag if that's the thing you like then then great then you'll never know what you're going to get it's always going to be awesome i'm a trained spy i know how to ask questions and i mm -hmm. i get incredible guests because we we have incredible conversations so if that's your thing i'd love to have you over at break it down show just go to the youtube channel type in pd turner it'll come up there's 1500 shows there that's the biggest thing and then if you're in dc this january 2024 uh, between the 15th and 16th come on out to the army navy club and you can come shake my hand and we'll all try to fix this whole foreign policy nut together uh, that's that's mm. where my main focus of my work is and man i appreciate you for doing this and Thanks, give me your platform for a little bit I, I thank you for that there you go uh maybe you can uh, grab john bolton as a joke with uh as a joke with richard haas from the center council for relations i'm like can we hold him down and shave that ugly ass beard off
<laughs> or uh, it's mustache. It's that nasty mustache. mustache. Yeah. 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 Asked, I'd rather asked, just replace him with somebody who's more calm, you know, yeah. and just do something else. Yeah. I think he's like Hercules. If you take the mustache off, maybe he'll be less hard on about Iran. I asked Richard Haas, yeah. I was like, I was like, do you think that gets him more dates on Tinder? And uh, <laughs> Richard wouldn't answer. <laughs> It's like, I'm not going there with you. Uh, so there you go. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, Pete. Thank you very much. And uh, to my audience, thank you for tuning in. We certainly couldn't do it without you folks. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn group. Subscribe to that damn newsletter. It grows like a weed. It's really weird. I'm just like, I didn't know there was this many people on LinkedIn that were active. <laughs> uh, go to the big 130,000 LinkedIn group, Chris Foss1 on TikTok, and uh, I don't know, Chris Foss, Facebook.com. That'll get you to the thing where you can talk on the show. Thanks, Yasir. Uh, for uh, giving us the uh, little plug there. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks, audience, for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.